All right, all right. Welcome back to the Present Father Project. Thank you for joining me. My name is Talia O'Connor. I'm the host and creator of the podcast. And today I bring to you a an epic conversation with my man Cam Fraser, who is Australia's leading men's sex coach. He's a relationship counsellor, sexologist, and tantric yoga teacher. Uh, so the man has got some insights to share, especially around the topic of sex and intimacy during pregnancy and early parenthood. So massive topic, massive, massive topic. Doesn't get enough airtime. Um, doesn't get spoken about a lot. And um, yeah, I was really looking forward to having this this conversation with Cam. It's something that we've spoken a lot about uh, off offline, off, <laughs> off podcast, not uh, with uh, the podcast being recorded. But um, yeah, I really just wanted to to bring this conversation to to you as a way to open up a conversation with your partner. Um, if this is something that you're navigating, or you're about to navigate, or maybe you've navigated and you could have navigated it a bit better. Um, it's such an important thing to be speaking about because it, yeah, intimacy and sex as we make that transition, you know, it it, uh, it can be the fabric that keeps a relationship together or it can, you know, you can start moving towards separation within the relationship, um, you know. So, and, and, and the stats around relationship breakdown uh, post-child, not not amazing, you know. There's there's work to be done as a collective. So I hope this conversation serves um, as something valuable in that in that work um, and serves you well. So before I dive into the specifics of, of what we jump into, I need to share. I have to share, and I want to share um, that enrollments are open for the Integrated Masculine Leadership Program, kicking off in January 2022. This is my flagship men's coaching program, and it's, yeah, it's epic. It is definitely the most comprehensive, holistic, and transformational program that um, I've ever created, that I've ever run, that I've ever been a part of, um, and I'm excited to welcome in the cohort um, for 2022. So a solid group of men already coming together for this. Um, so if you're keen to deep dive, it's a four-month program. If you're keen to deep dive into personal leadership and alignment, cultivating a deep level of confidence in yourself and uh, how you be in the world and, and what you're here to do in the world and, um, and how you navigate relationships, how you navigate fatherhood, um, whether you're in it or about to be, um, this is the program for you. This is the group of men to do it with. So if you're intrigued, uh, head to the link in the bio or, or send me a message and we can tee up a time to have a conversation to see if it's the right fit for you. So with that, with that said, um, I'll leave you with this conversation with Cam. He, uh, he shares a lot of personal insights. Like I, like I mentioned, he's recently navigated the transition into fatherhood and has been navigating a lot of challenges. Um, and and he, he shares how he has done those um, personally and then also shares some insights that he's gained from working with a lot of men and, and couples in this realm. So um, he shares a lot of practical advice, shares a lot of tools, a lot of strategies. Um, and this is a really good one for to listen to with your partner or, or for both of you to listen to and then and then discuss. I know a lot of uh, a lot of fruitful conversations 
uh, either with yourself in the journal or, or, or with your partner are going to be had from, from dropping in and, and listening to this podcast. So I'll leave you with that. Enjoy the conversation. Big love from me and uh, I will chat to you soon. All right, we're on. Cam, my man, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, mate. Yeah, excited to dive in. Like we we're just chatting before we hit record that we um we have recorded another podcast, but it almost feels like a lifetime ago. <laughs> Several houses ago for you. Several, yeah. Several houses and, and definitely a child each ago for, yeah. for, for for both of us. But um yeah, man, excited to dive in, have a chat. Um, yeah, hear your experience of of your transition into into fatherhood. That's been pretty fresh for you, and just dive into a few important topics um, that I feel like maybe don't get enough airtime um, and will be cool to will be cool to hash out from your professional experience and also hear your your personal insight um, into it all as well. So I guess to kick things off, just share a little bit about where you're at with your fatherhood journey at the moment. Yeah, cool, dude. Um, so I've got a little son. His name's Fergus um, and he is just over six months old. Um, the 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 six months um with him and with my fiance have been uh pretty crazy pretty hectic like it started hectic and it hasn't really slowed down um we uh, had like plans for a, a home birth and um the whole plan got thrown out the window and we had to end up having an emergency cesarean um after uh, about 22 hours of labor so that was pretty gnarly um and then the kind of transition into into parenthood or, or for me personally into fatherhood was like take like taking care of my partner who had had like major abdominal surgery like cesarean um and so she was like holed up in bed and recovering and you know um having to take certain um like medication and and painkillers and things like this uh, and then also like the introduction of like a little crying baby who had a bit of birth trauma because of the birth that he had. And um, so he, he was quite squished. Uh, so like he, like he he was just, he had some trauma. So he was just crying. And um, and so like that was a space that we navigated for about three months until Edwina was like quite recovered. Um, and Fergus's like experience of colic and his indigestion issues and his stomach stuff um, kind of like kind of was alleviated subsided a little bit around the three month mark so we had a bit of uh, a transition around that time into something that was a, like comparatively easier compared to like where we were before um which was nice um but we just got like a little ball of energy for a son he just wakes up and he's from he goes to zero to 100 in about 0.1 seconds um he just like wakes up and he's just like fucking loud let's do it uh, and he's like that until he goes to sleep he's just charging until he crashes essentially so um so yeah, uh, it's, it's just been like, it's just, it's been amazing. Like seeing him grow and seeing him develop his little personality and have like favorite toys and, um, like just like learn a skill literally in front of my, in front of my eyes, you know, like learn how to crawl, learn how to walk, learn how to sit or eat. Um, it's just been amazing. Like it's very, um, it's very awe inspiring to kind of see a little person develop and grow. Um, and so I feel like really humbled by like fatherhood in that regard and and also like the amount of learning that I've had to do um and my partner's had to do as well but like just for me personally um in terms of like my own childhood my own expectations around parenthood my own relationship with my dad 
um, like, you know, I, th- I thought I'd done the work, you know, I was like, yeah, I've done some inner child work. I've done some, you know, some, you know, some work around my personal development and things like that. And then when you're holding a crying baby for a couple of hours and, you know, nothing you can do to soothe, like there's nothing you can do to soothe them. Like all that shit just gets brought back up again. I don't know what it is about a baby's cry, but it just brings up for me at least anyway, the, all that, like the childhood stuff that I, you know, was holding on to, like the, the, the anger at never being allowed to express myself when I was younger. And so then feeling like really resentful at Fergus. Cause I'm like, just fucking get over it, bro. Like there's, there's nothing to cry about, you know, and, and then, but then feeling like really ashamed at myself for thinking that because I'm really trying to be an aware parent and just going through this whole cycle of, yeah, emotions from frustration to, uh, you know, to, to a lot of anger and then learning how to like navigate that anger and express it in a healthy way. And then coming back to love and holding space and acknowledging my own capacity as well. Like there's periods of time where, you know, I can't hold him for any longer. And so I have to tell him that and, you know, and communicate with him and kind of treat him with respect and honor his feelings. And yeah, it's just been a, a wild fucking ride, man. We're only six months in. And, you know, I'll be doing this for the rest of my life. So um, it's, yeah, it's just a, um, a really big, uh, our doula, well, your doula as well, Philly used to, she, I guess she still says this, but she said to this to me, which really resonated, which was um, birth and, and parenthood is an, an immense experience. And I 100% agree that it is immense. There is a lot. Um, and so just, yeah, navigating it as best as, I can as best as we can as a little family unit and um, yeah, feeling on top of things for the most part, but that'll change, I'm sure, <laughs> in a day, day to day time. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, but, but feeling good, man. Like fatherhood's a fucking, uh, like an amazing, amazing journey. And it's been like a, just a, a really powerful, powerful thing to, to be in this, you know, beautiful container with my partner and to have this little, person who we're bringing up in the world and you know yeah it's just all the best laid plans you know um and they'll probably go awry um but yeah it's just i don't know man but kind of like almost i know i've spoken for a lot but i kind of don't really have the language to describe how it is that i feel you know yeah 100 percent. and it's like yeah i resonate with that man and it's you try um and and it's like yeah and things you're saying i'm like yes i understand what you mean but it is almost ineffable like you can't can't touch it, can't say it. It's it's a it's something else. Um, a couple of things. I was, I was smiling when you were talking about that inner child stuff coming up. And you're like, fuck, I've done, I've done some work. I've done some personal. <laughs> run. I've had conversations with little Cam. I'm like, we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it just goes drops a, a whole new bomb because I, I had a conversation with Nick yesterday, and that exact same thing came up. Um, so yeah, I'm curious too because obviously having done a bit of that work, you know, and you're a, a men's sex coach, you're also a relationship counselor, tantric yoga teacher, like you've been in this space personally and supporting people through this kind of um, work and work and growth. What what um when it came up for you uh, strongly when when since Fergus has been born, did you? Uh, just resort back to old tools? Like, were you like, oh, okay, I've got to revisit that? Or did you do, was there new stuff or new support that you had to seek out to help with that? Because I feel like that linked with that other thing that you mentioned about acknowledging your own capacity. I'm like, that is powerful because Mm. a lot of times I know I've personally felt a resistance to doing that. You're like, no, no, load me up. I can take it all. I can do it all. I can, and to actually be like, no, no, I'm full. I need some help. I need and, and acknowledging that, I feel like 
I'd love to hear you speak into those two a little bit more. Yeah, man. So it was, it was a combination of both, both of those things, like old tools that I had learned and that had been working for me and the development of new tools. And then also, I'm not going to lie, old bad habits and patterns as well that I you know, had thought that I had gotten rid of and slipped back into in um, you know, periods of fatigue, um, essentially. So like some old tools that I um, was aware of is um, and that I kind of leaned on. Uh, one is like, it, like taking some time for myself, like going and doing something that filled my cup up. So, and I mean, you know this, but I, I went and started playing soccer. I went, started going to the gym. Um, I kind of had these personal, you know, personal space, my, my time, right? Time for myself to kind of fill my cup back up so that I could come back to Fergus, back to Edwina, back to the family um, from a place of feeling filled up, not from a place of feeling depleted. Um, so that was one strategy that I implemented was like having some time. And similar for Edwina, it was a little bit harder. Um, and we're kind of getting to a space now where she's able to do some stuff for herself. Um, it was quite hard for the first four months uh, just because of breastfeeding and um, and Edwina had a bit of anxiety about leaving Fergus with me and with other people. Um, so we're just get, we're getting over that at the moment, um, which is really cool. And, and, um, and so that's been a strategy she's now started to employ. Um, another one was just like... Um, we we had like people to talk to as well like we had um uh philly who i just mentioned but we also had laura lee um who was our midwife uh, we had some um like we had just friends people like yourself um that we could just have a chat to and um the the way that transitioned into like newer tools was like not just asking for someone to just have a chat with but actually asking for them to do something to support us so like you know, kind of just changing that that asking or changing that that what that support looked like from like, yeah, conversation would be really lovely and I'd love to have a chat with you, but I really need the house to be fucking cleaned. Do you mind like instead of chatting with me for an hour, cleaning the house for an hour, you know, or cooking us a meal or something like that. So the um the way that we asked for support is something that changed and, and that was that was very new for us and had a lot of uh, resistance to doing that to asking for help around the house or you know for for cleaning the toilet or you know whatever it was or cooking us a meal that was it was quite a new experience and and felt really um felt uncomfortable to ask right because there was there's a bit of shame of like oh we can't stay on top of things and um we're not like this little um you know family unit that can get everything done there was a lot of like and and even though intellectually i knew you know it it takes a village to raise a child. I was like, nah, nah, um, you know, we've got to do this ourselves. Um, so like leaning into that was like really, um, like I said, uncomfortable, but was so lovely and, and felt really supported. Like the, the, the depth of connection that we had with some of the, some of the friends that, um, had been in our lives for a while was just like, wow, they really showed up and it was just like a really beautiful, beautiful experience. Um, a new tool that I, not new in the sense that I knew, I knew it was a thing, but I'd never really used it before, was um, like just express and release. Like I'm not a real big fan of express and release. It's not actually something that really resonates with me. Um, and so I, um, I never really had done it before uh, other than just in workshops, but I, I you know, felt that I needed to do it, um, you know, as part, like, as part of like navigating the feelings that I had when you know, Fergus was crying or when things were not going 
you know, riots when the house is a mess and Fergus is covered in his own vomit and whatever, right? When things just kind of feel like they're falling apart, um, kind of like held on to what I was feeling to get the shit done. And then I was like, all right, now I just feel like this little ball of tension. What the hell am I going to do with this? Previously, I would have, you know, done something else, but um, I kind of feel like the reason why I lent more on express and release tools such as like smash, I've got a punching bag. So just going and just railing on the punching bag, for example, and just like going to town on it um, is because it's for me, at least anyway, it felt a lot quicker to discharge what I was feeling compared to maybe if I did like a transmutation sublimation practice or did like a meditation or did some yoga, it would take a little bit more time for me to process that and to get through it and to, and to navigate that space. Time that I didn't necessarily have when I've got Fergus or I've got, you know, to help Edwina or, you know, just in the moment, I'm like, Fergus is crying. I'm feeling really tense right now. I've just got to put him in Edwina's arms for, you know, five minutes so I can just go smash the punching bag, get that feeling out of my body, just like really let it go, discharge it, take a couple of breaths, come back down and then I can go pick him up again. So I'm like, you know, the express and release is a tool that I've used to help kind of process things or let go of things, I suppose, on the fly, as opposed to like, um, previously before Fergus, uh, the, the tools I would have used were like stuff that I could really settle into and like go through and dig deep and, um, and really allow them to, to run their course. Um, so that's, that's how that has changed for me. And, um, and so now that Fergus has got a little bit more independence, I'm kind of slowly leaning back towards what I prefer, which is like having a bit more time for myself to do a practice that allows that emotion to run its course and allows the nervous system to like fully let go of it rather than this quick, like release, um, which, you know, is great, but as a long-term strategy, I don't think is very helpful. So, um, it's been a good thing to kind of rely on in the interim kind of for a temporary thing. Um, but it's something that I don't, I don't want to continue to do, um, again, cause I don't really resonate with it. Yeah. Yeah, man. I love that. I love that distinction between releasing and processing. Like, yeah, in terms of yeah. like, yes, it's great for releasing, but for processing and maybe integrating and, and, you know, moving through it to, to a different place, either there are tools that maybe have more awareness and, and all of that. So I love that distinction. And then also um, like letting go of the perfect practice. It's so easy to be like, I know I'm carrying a lot. I'll just wait until I have a day to myself or I'll just wait until I, and it's so, and it's an, it's a trap. <laughs> yeah. yeah totally. That time never comes. Never comes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I love that distinction, man. Um, yeah. Powerful. I can resonate a lot. Like I would just go and breathe and do push-ups until I collapsed or something like that, you know, just like just move it as, as best I could. Cause that five minutes is maybe all that you've got. So um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the the time the time element for sure has has shifted things a lot. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, awesome, man. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for giving us a little window into um, your transition. It's been amazing to watch because I know it. Yeah, it was a very um, yeah a challenging challenging transition, and to watch you just navigate it and keep leaning in and keep stepping back in the ring. It was um, yeah, it was it was amazing, man. It was really cool to to see you do that. And like you say, it's still you know hectic because it's it's a you've got a six month old son, but it's like you, you seem really um landed in it and then it's awesome to see thanks man i appreciate it mm. um yeah so something i wanted to uh dive into and 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 uh just flesh out a little bit um both from your professional standpoint and, and see what you've got to share but also yeah and any personal insights as well is around the topic of intimacy sex as it pertains to the transition into parenthood because 
there's um, a lot of data around the breakdown in relationship within the first few years of, of parenthood, of, of the first child, um, and a huge contributing factor to that, um, I could safely assume, is a breakdown in intimacy, connection, and sex. And so, yeah, it's just a topic that doesn't get heaps of airtime. So, I wanted to give it some airtime. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love to hear, I guess, um, if you're open to it, just sharing a little bit about what your your personal experience um, with, with that was during the transition. And I think it's cool to include pregnancy in that because that can be such a different, like there's such a huge spectrum for like mm. for, for women's experience and then obviously supporting our partners through that. Um, so yeah, just sharing anything you um, noticed, realized, picked up on, grew a deeper understanding of through that transition and then into into um, parenthood as well. Yeah, man. Yeah. So this is a, a big one and um, like this is part of like my birth story, I suppose, right, um, is going from like the from conception to like to, to birth and then beyond is like you know, Edwina got quite sick when she was pregnant. Um, the first two trimesters, pretty much, she was very ill. Um, she had a lot of nausea, was vomiting quite a lot, um, like had to really restrict the diet. For the first trimester, she was essentially in bed. It was, um, she, she was very, very crook. Um, and so like that isn't very conducive for intimacy. Like it's conducive for a type of intimacy, the kind of caretaker and sick patient dynamic, right? Where I'm kind of taking care of her and bringing her cups of water and rubbing her feet and checking her temperature and things like that. But that's not very conducive for sexual intimacy. It's not a, like, it's not a very sexy dynamic to be in, right? One partner taking care of a sick other partner. Um, a lot of older couples go through that experience actually when we when we look at like life experiences um in sex therapy a lot of older couples where one of them maybe gets a little bit sick and the other has to take care of them a lot of the sexual chemistry can can kind of fall out of the relationship because of that dynamic um and so that's that's kind of what we experienced was like i'm not really attracted to a sick person right it's not like i'm attracted to my fiance i'm i'm you know i i'm you know in love with her but like I didn't want to have sex with a sick person. And similarly, she was sick. She didn't feel like having sex either. She did not feel like she was very sexy and, and didn't want to like instigate or initiate any sexual, um, you know, sexual encounters. So we had to find ways to kind of navigate that space to begin with. Um, and thankfully for the last kind of four or five years, we've been very communicative, very open, um, just have had like a lot of conversations around sex and pleasure and intimacy. And so we, we have, have been able to navigate a few things very, very well. Um, but that was like the first kind of change in our intimacy, sex life kind of relationship. Um, when she did start feeling better, when she wasn't as nauseous anymore was third trimester. Um, but when, when she was quite big, when she was showing quite a lot. Right. Um, and like my, personal um like my sexuality my personal sexual preferences i don't really find pregnant women attractive like i'm um, i can appreciate pregnant women and I, I find my partner attractive but i don't really get turned on by a, a pregnant body like it's it's inspiring to me and, and beautiful and incredible um but I, it's not something that it, that makes me aroused uh and so the um and so there was like this this 
period of time to navigate as well of like, okay, like I'm, I'm still attracted to Edwina um, and I still kind of want to be intimate with her, um, but it was a little bit more challenging for me to kind of build that sexual arousal for me personally. Um, and, you know, we were, <laughs> we were always told just by people um, that were always like, oh, when you get pregnant, like you're going to get super horny and like you were like, you're going to have so much more sex. And Edwina never felt that way as well. She was, we were always kind of like looking at our watches being like, when's this fucking horniness going to kick in? When's this like super <laughs> sexual kind of feeling? going? Yeah, exactly. And so we were just like waiting for this, but, it, and it kind of never kicked in. Um, and so we, and so we had to play around with like the, okay, well we had had this expectation kind of put on our experience of pregnancy and like, it wasn't our expectation. It was other people. So we had to kind of like disentangle that and not have judgments around that. And not, and, and so Edwina felt a little bit ashamed for not, being super sexual because she'd been told that's what happens when you get pregnant. So she had to kind of disentangle that and work through that. Um, and so like, and, and then even just like logistically, physically, when you've got like, when you're 39 weeks pregnant, you know, Dwayne gave, you know, gave birth at 42 weeks, like you, you can't do certain positions, right. And you've got to make sure you've got to be a bit more gentle. You've got to be a bit more tender. Um, and so intimacy and sex around that time looked a lot more, um, yeah, looked a lot more tender, looked a lot more gentle and was a little bit more focused on like prepping for birth, essentially. Like we did some de-armoring, we we're doing some yoni massage, we were like just like getting the oxytocin flowing, just allowing that kind of surrender and letting go and um, and that like really gentle type of intimacy and that gentle type of touch was what we were going for around that time. Um and then obviously birth as well, the way that intimacy and, and sex changed um, after birth was Edwina had just had major surgery. And so she was kind of you know, out of commission in all regards for you know, uh, a good couple of months um, while she was recovering. Uh, and um, the, like, the, the thing that we noticed as well as we started to kind of connect again and have sex after birth was that she, there was quite a bit of pain and some numbness around, you know, her pelvis and, and like lower abdominals and even in like, you know, the vaginal canal and her genitals as well. So we're like, okay, let's, let's work with this. Like, all right, let's, let's try and bring some sensitivity back. Let's try and bring some pleasure back. Let's work around this numbness. Like what can we do? So again, it became like it shifted again and it became a bit more of like a healing experience as opposed to being something that was just like, we were doing it explicitly for pleasure and we were doing it, you know, to, you know, um, before pregnancy, before, um, birth would be, you know, as something to, you know, to build that passion and to build that lust and for it to be quite like intense. Um, but you know, during this period of time and, and kind of still to, to, to today, it's a bit more of a softer, gentler healing kind of coming back into the body, um, that's the, that's the intention, I suppose. That's the way it's kind of shifted. Um, and then obviously we've got like a, a child, right? We've got like another person just around all the fucking time. So, um, so in terms of like intimacy, um, either, you know, Fergus is on Edwina's boob or, um, I'm holding him. And, you know, that was kind of for the first three or four months we, we were just, he was kind of constantly in arms. And so like any, any touch involved, Fergus, right? It involved him kind of being there next to us because um, we c- couldn't really leave him alone. Uh, and so like we navigated this idea of like Edwina was holding him a lot more because of the breastfeeding. So she was getting a lot of touch throughout the day and she was feeling almost touched out by the time, you know, we had a bit of time to spend together. 
Uh, and so we had to like talk about that and be like, okay, well, you know, um, we still want to connect. What does that look like? Cause, cause can we still connect without physical touch? Right. And thankfully we'd been doing a lot of stuff before birth and before even thinking about getting pregnant that, so we lent back on that and, um, some eye gazing and just being in the space with one another drinking some, you know, ceremonial cacao or whatever it is like where we could just be in a space that didn't maybe necessarily involve physical touch. Um, and then the physical touch that we, you know, did, um, engage in, it's like, okay, well, what part of the bodies are you feeling, you know, not really, you know, that aren't really re receptive to sexual touch. Um, actually, so like she was breastfeeding and she still is breastfeeding. So like her breasts don't really feel very sexual at the moment. Um, they don't, they don't feel like a very sexual part of her body. They're kind of like a, you know, um, something for, to, to nourish, right. To, to give life to, to Fergus. Um, they've got like a different function at the moment. Um, and her relationship to them, to them has changed. And so like my relationship to her body has to change because of her relationship to her body. Um, and so like, that's been a, a space for us to navigate as well. And, um, yeah, so just been lots of like, lots of shifts, man. Like every couple of months, there's like a new shift. Um, and as, as you know, Fergus, I suppose, starts becoming more aware of things and starts becoming like more attentive and like understands like boundaries and touch and and like what what we're doing because like we could just you know put Fergus on the floor and just have a quick hug and kiss and and kind of you know fondle each other um, and Fergus wouldn't have a clue like what what's happening um, but we started to notice like he'll watch us now if we're like kissing in front of him he, he's kind of like paying attention like what the fuck's what's going on here? Like, what is this? And so like being mindful of like, oh, okay. Now he's going to like start noticing affection and intimacy and like the way that we treat each other, my, you know, my partner and I. So like this element of like, okay, what does it mean to be a role model for Fergus? Not only as, you know, in, in all these other areas of life, but also as like a sexual role model in the way that I treat, you know, and, and show affection to my partner to Edwina and like knowing that he's going to be, he's going to see things, right. He's going to notice that. And like, how do I embody my sexuality in a really open, comfortable way so that he feels like he can, when, you know, he's developing and, um, and stepping into, you know, um, you know, teenager hood, um, and early adulthood as well. So like part of the formative years is like, you know, this kind of time from one to seven and then from seven to 14, so things that, you know, he's going to be noticing things. He's going to be like soaking all that up and that's going to inform the way that he shows up as a, um, as a young man. So it's like, okay, um, I can be mindful of like, okay, I'm not just being, you know, how am I showing up as a sexual, sexual man, I suppose, in, in the context of a family, right? In the context of like being a father. Um, and, and so like, what is, what does a sexual role model as a father look like, right? That's kind of a, uh, a weird thing that I haven't really seen a lot of other men talking about, a lot of fathers talking about, like how do you model healthy sexuality for your son? Because um, that's, you know, I think there's, people have this weird connection of anytime you talk about sexuality and children, people just don't want to, people freak out. And we have this weird thing in society where sexuality and children aren't allowed to be talked about in the same sentence and people go to the worst, worst crevasses of their mind and start to think about you know some pretty um heinous stuff um but like we need to be talking about sexuality and and children and we need to be talking about like the way that we're modeling our sexuality as parents and as men as fathers so um that's something i'm starting to think about a little bit more as fergus becomes more attentive so so that's another shift right that i see in the future so so it has been this like whole journey man from like 
yeah, from and like even conception, like our, we did a conscious conception and like that was a whole thing, um, which I didn't talk about, but yeah, it's, so it's, it, yeah, it's been a cascade of, of shifts and just navigating it has been a, um, yeah, real test of the relationship. Yeah, for sure. I can imagine, man. And, um, with all the tools, you know, like you mentioned a few times, like communication, clearly the key as it always seems to be for a lot of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like, I'd love to unpack that a little bit more because like you guys um, have navigated some consistent, like you say, consistent challenges and, and you're still here. Do you know what I mean? And, and I'm, I'm sure there's still challenges there, but it's like being able to do that in a healthy way is no um, simple task. And so obviously clear communication, um, but I would love to unpack, like you mentioned a couple of times, uh, differences in intimacy. And I think unless we kind of speak to this, like the sort of unconscious assumption is uh, sex is intimacy. Like intimacy is sex. Mm, mm. And it's like, if we're not having sex, like penetrative sex, that's what intimacy is. And I feel like depending on how things go with the pregnancy, with the birth, with all of that, uh, unpacking that and un- that is can be really beneficial to acknowledge what intimacy is there or what intimacy do we want to cultivate or what intimacy are there challenges around. So it's not this on or off switch. Are we having sex or are we not? And if we're mm. not having sex, there's no intimacy. That's a slippery slope because there might be a number of reasons where that's not possible. Like you, like your story is a great example of that. So yeah, um, yeah I'd love for you to just speak into maybe the different types of intimacy um, and how we can check in with maybe where those intimacy levels are at within the relationship. Um, and then, yeah, cultivate more of those and, and converse around them. I feel like that'd mm. be really valuable. For sure, man. So I think like, the the reason why there's this connection with like sex and intimacy and those two things being conflated particularly for men is because for a lot of guys the only avenue that they have for intimacy is sex right there like there's not a lot of encouragement for men to be a bit more open and communicative and you know exploring non non-sexual intimacy or non-physical t- like intimacy and things like that so um so for a lot of guys, the only way that they can get their intimacy needs met is by engaging in sex and by having sex. And oftentimes by only having one type of sex, which is penis and vagina penetrative sex. Um, and so like one strategy for this, I suppose, is like um, if, you're, if your definition of sex is like really narrow and that's the only, you know, and penetrative sex is the only type of sex that you are um, that you, that you have on the table to, to kind of meet your sexual needs or your like sexual intimacy needs, then um, starting to think about other ways, like starting to have conversations with your partner about like other ways that you can have sex essentially, right? Start to broaden your definition of what sex is. Um, there's a really uh, fantastic framework called the erotic menu, um, which is like, you know, when you're, when you're hungry, right? And hungry being analogous here for horny, when you're hungry, you choose from a menu a meal to eat with your partner, right? To satisfy your hunger. When you're horny, you choose from an erotic menu, a quote unquote meal to eat to satisfy your horniness, right? And you eat that meal with your partner. For a lot of people, there's only one item on their erotic menu, which is that penetrative sex, right? And so you might you might be you might be hungry, right? You might be horny and you know, you want to choose something from the menu to eat to satisfy your cravings but you've only got one thing on there and that might be 
a, it might be your favorite dish, might be the best meal, but you might not be that hungry or your partner might not be that hungry or you might be in the mood for something else tonight or you know you uh, you might be really really hungry and your partner not hungry at all and they just want nibbles right but if you've only got that one item on your erotic menu someone's going to have to compromise and someone's going to have to maybe you know allow their um, boundaries to be crossed or you know going to have to compromise on their own boundaries or you know or or it's just not going to satisfy one of those partners needs um, and so We've got to think about adding other dishes to your erotic menu. What are some other things that you can do with your partner that still meet your sexual needs, but maybe aren't like this particular meal that you've been relying on? Because um, if you eat that same meal over and over and over again for the rest of your life, like I said, it might be your, it might be your favorite dish, but it's it's going to get boring pretty quickly. Um, so that's like one strategy is like just kind of like thinking about that analogy and going, okay, what else can we choose as a partner uh, or as a, as a couple to, to eat together, right? What else can we do together to kind of satisfy sexual needs? Um, and the same thing can be applied to intimacy as well. Is there, yeah, sorry, just to butt in before we move on. Is there a, do you just encourage people to curate their own menu or is there, are there prompts? Is there a resource or anything um, that we can share with people or is it just like have a conversation? What are the various ways on, we can yeah, it depends on if you're a visual learner or not. So like if you are happy to, happy to just have a conversation to kind of like mentally use that analogy and talk to your partner about it, I you know suggest that. But I've done with clients like literally just like get a piece of paper and like make a menu with your partner and be like, be like uh, and even like print out little photos or, or draw little pictures or whatever it is and have like some sort of like kind of arts and crafts type of menu that you can do with one another. Um, and, and there's obviously anywhere variations in between those two things. You can be real arts and craftsy and you can get macaroni and cheese and put around the outside or you can just write it on a piece of paper. Um, but that, that, that's a strategy as well. The, um, the, there's another, uh, like tied into this is there's a, a really fantastic resource online. And if you just Google this, you'll find it. It's called the Yes, No, Maybe So activity. And the Yes, No, Maybe So activity is essentially just a PDF of you know, a list of all these different sexual activities from squeezing nipples to, I don't know, like um, tickling balls. And it's just like, you know, just this huge list and you sit down with your partner, maybe over a glass of wine or, you know, a cup of coffee or whatever it is when you're going for a walk and you look at this list and you indicate, are you a yes to that activity? Are you a no to that activity? Or are you a maybe to that activity, right? Maybe if you, if the mood strikes, you could you could you could probably get into that. Um, and so you go through it, and the idea is like this fosters a conversation about sexual activities and you know different sexual behaviors, which you don't necessarily have to initiate, right? It kind of takes the burden and the pressure and the responsibility off you to say to your partner, "Hey, I kind of really like it when." you know, you squeeze my nipples, right? That's can, that can be a pretty vulnerable thing to say, right? And it can, and it can feel very scary. Um, even if we've been in a long-term relationship, it can, it can be quite hard to, to say something like that and voice our desires. But if you've got this list of activities and one of those activities is, you know, squeezing nipples or even like something like, you know, having a threesome, right? Or, or you know, prostate play or something that's a little bit more edgy then you're not bringing that up, right? And so the kind of onus isn't necessarily on you in that space. It's like the game is taking that that burden, right? The, the activity is taking the responsibility for bringing it up. And then you get to go, 
oh, that is something that I'm actually interested in. Hey, what did you put for this? Oh, you put a maybe. Oh, okay, cool. I'm, I'm a yes, you're a maybe. What are some things that we might do, right, to help that maybe feel a little bit more like a yes or you know, to help you kind of feel a bit more comfortable doing that particular thing? Or if you're a yes and your partner's a no and you've been doing that thing your whole relationship, but your partner's actually a no to it, that can be a bit of a, uh, you know, a light bulb moment to be like, holy shit, I didn't know that. Um, okay, we need to have a conversation about this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you might, something you've never talked about, you might both be a yes to, and you're like, holy shit, we're both a yes to this. We could do this next time, right? Um, so that's a that's another um, a tool, I suppose. Um, but this same idea can be applied to intimacy as well as kind of what I was getting at here. It's like I, I've spoken specifically about sex and sexual sexual connection, but in terms of like intimacy, how you how do you explore intimacy with your partner? Like, is it is it through conversation? And here's where we can talk about like love languages, I suppose, and things like that. But you know, just thinking about how you get your intimacy needs met. Do you need to have a deep and meaningful conversation with your partner that's about life and philosophy and you know deep thinking and all this sort of stuff that makes you feel really connected or is it you just need to spend time sitting on the couch cuddling them watching telly um do you um need to be in the same room maybe not necessarily touching just on separate couches reading a book and just kind of being in the space with one another like how do you get your intimacy needs met um and and just having a bit more of a broader think about like oh okay maybe you know we can't really sit down and watch a movie anymore and, and sit on the couch because we've got a, a little crying baby, but like maybe there's an opportunity here for maybe us to lie in bed and kind of hold the baby together. Right. And, um, and kind of get that physical touch met that way or, you know, strategy that Edwin and I are doing. Um, we, we don't do it all the time, but we, we try, try it out as like get some headphone splitters, put headphones in and watch a movie with headphones um, whilst holding Fergus um, while he's going to sleep. So just like changing things around as well to kind of go, okay, this is how we used to enjoy intimacy with one another. That's kind of the exact way is not really possible now that we've got, you know, a, a child in the mix. So how can we tweak that to still kind of get that feeling um, of our needs being met, our intimacy needs being met, um, but um, but it's also appropriate and accommodating for that little little um, child. Like another example is Adrena and I love having really um, like long, deep conversations about whatever it is that's kind of going on for us. Um, that for a while was not possible because we couldn't have a conversation for more than five minutes without having to attend to to Fergus. So now when Fergus, we put him in the pram and we go for a walk together um, and Fergus is asleep, that's when we get to have like a conversation. We get to really connect. Or we go in the car and we put him in the, the, the um, seat in the back of the car and he sleeps in that. So that's when we get to have a conversation. So just like, again, tweaking the pre-existing things that you did to now kind of fit the new new life that you have. And that requires a little bit of creativity. It requires a little bit of, of course, communication with your partner. Um, and, um, and like for for like men and, and for like, you know, the, the father in, in these heterosexual couples, it can be a really powerful thing to kind of step into that and be like, I want to really connect. I want to really be this leader and take responsibility for our intimacy, for our connection, for you know, meeting our needs. Like, let's, let's talk about this. Let's have a conversation about this and really lead by example, right? Rather than being like thinking of leadership as this thing that's really hierarchical and like you know telling and you know um and um 
I've just escaped the words escape me like delegating and saying, Hey, this is what you need to do. Yeah. Right. It's more of like a, Hey, I, I'm really um, passionate about this. I, I really want to, you know, I really want us to connect. I really want us to have a strong bond, you know, to, to show our son or to show our daughter and to be like really positive role models and examples. And for her to see the love that we have for each other and for that to be part of their life. Um, let's talk about this. Let's talk about how we can connect with one another. What are some things, right. And, um, and just like, if you're a guy as well, just like being aware of the fact that your partner's body changes, right. And, and that things probably won't go back to the way they were, um, at least not for, for a while. And the type of sex that they're probably going to be interested in for a little while is going to be different to the type of sex that you have been having. Uh, and just being, just being respectful and just being like honoring of that and being understanding of that is such a powerful thing to, to do as a guy, to be at like a safe container for your partner um, and their experience of eroticism and their experience of sexuality and sensuality. Um, like something that Edwin and I are going through at the moment is um, like her feeling sensual and sexy again, right? Cause she's for the last four or five months being in like, tops that have been spewed on and like you know have been cha- like we've been changing nappies so we've got like poo on our hands and it's just like not a very sexy time right so and and so she's feeling like um she wants to start maybe exploring um like what it, what it feels like to be a bit more of a sexy kind of mum right and so um you know I, I gave her an anniversary gift the other day which was to go on um uh, do a, like a makeup tutorial with this woman here in Margaret River and so she learned about like how to put certain types of foundation on and makeup on to, to bring out her glow and to make her feel like a little bit more, um, just to make her, her feel more attractive for herself, right? And to make her step more into um, into that like sexy mum, what does she call it? Her thirsty mum, <laughs> thirsty mum kind of mission. Uh, and um, and so like that's something that, you know, we've been, we've been talking about. It's like, I, I don't feel really sexy myself. I don't really feel like I'm, you know, desirous or or you know feel really attractive when i've got like piss and shit and spew and i've got like (laughs) i've just woken up or whatever um so like what can i do to kind of help myself feel in the mood right and feel like i'm you know i've got my sexual energy flowing and like i'm connected to my sensuality and my i'm embodying that kind of eroticism again and for me part of that is self-pleasure so like i feel really connected to my sexuality when i'm taking time to connect to my body and, and whether it's with some massage oil or whether it's with, you know, some self-pleasuring or whatever it is. So part of the conversations we've been having is like, okay, we're not able to connect as much together just for all the kind of reasons that I've outlined in this conversation. Um, so self-pleasure has become really important. And, and that's been something that we've talked about for like the last five years is um, in a relationship, like having the space to do some masturbating and to do some self-pleasuring and to actually connect in, alone with your own body um and so we've re- we've really encouraged each other to that over the last couple of years uh, and so we've had to you know have that conversation again um because the the dynamic around that has shifted because we've like well at least i don't want to say we i definitely felt oh we're having less time to connect with one another um and i felt guilty for going and self-pleasuring um because i was like fuck um you know we're not connecting as much together anymore. So I'm kind of like, you know, and and again, this is my, my, um, my old story about masturbation being, uh, deleterious and depleting and being something that takes away from a relationship and something that I 
had again thought I'd done the work on, you know, thought I'd, you know, I talk about it all the time. I talk with clients about it all the time. Um, but now it's like really being brought up in a different way for me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm spending an hour self-pleasuring. That's an hour I could have spent hanging out with Fergus, right? And taking Fergus away from Edwina or something like that. Um, so again, it's bringing up a bit more of a, that resistance for me. Um, but acknowledging that I need that in order to feel connected to my body in order for then to show up with Edwina and Fergus in, you know, from that place of fullness, from that place of being connected um, to myself, I can be a better partner. I can be a better father to, um, you know, to Fergus as well. So, so that's something we've been, you know, been talking about as well, but we've had those conversations. I think this is like what I want to get across. If you start having these conversations, like when you have a child, it's going to be very, very difficult. So if you're thinking about having a family, start having these conversations today. Start having conversations now. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I want to like acknowledge guys that are maybe in this space that are already fathers and they're like no- noticing the challenges. I won't sugarcoat it. It's going to be tough to have these conversations now um, when things are already when you're already in it. Um, it's a lot more beneficial to have conversations before you start like before you're in the fire, right? Um, as opposed to when you're already in it, but, um, but, but it's necessary. So like lean into that, lean into your, your courage and your vulnerability and your strength to kind of have a conversation when you're in the fire. Um, because it'll it, like the longer you put it off, the worse it's going to get essentially. Yeah. Yeah, man. Such, um, such an important point. Um, so much gold there, man. Thank you. Um, a couple of points that I want to, touch on and just highlight that really stood out for me was kind of tailing on what you just shared there about it can be difficult. Like if this is something you've never spoken about before, that's going to be difficult. So don't expect it to just be smooth sailing because we're chatting mm-hmm. about it. The first conversation might be horrendous because you might say something, <laughs> get triggered, da-da-da, and you're like, what? Talking about it made it worse. It's like, no, no, no. That first conversation maybe it's like stay with it. Um and going back to like that exercise, that yes, no, maybe, which I love, by the way, I hadn't hadn't heard that before, is when when you're having these conversations, having the intention to not make each other wrong. Mm. So it's like, just because your partner is a no for something, you can be a yes to it and that's okay too. Might not be something you engage in together, but be honest and, and don't make yourself wrong or each other wrong when you're broaching these very vulnerable topics and almost mm. you know make sure that's voiced and the container is set otherwise if you do it half-assed you, you kind of don't end up where you're where you want to be and so i think um yeah that's just important to to speak to and to highlight how vulnerable and and difficult it can be like you like you mentioned just then yeah yeah and and there's i mean there's a, a heaps of amazing podcasts and heaps of amazing like um just resources out there like a one book for for people that might be interested in is um, it's called love and sex in the time of colic by a sex researcher called Ian Kerner. Um, it is yeah a book about how to navigate sex and intimacy um, and, and kind of what that looks like for you and your partner in the first kind of three to six months. Um, colic again, being a reference to like what little babies get when they feel like really uncomfortable and they cry all the time. Um, so that's, that's a, a good resource, but um yeah, yeah, I'll send through the the book and and um, yeah, like I I like we said, man, with regards to you know, it, it might not look pretty the first conversation that you have and um and you know part of this 
part of this work and part of like taking your relationship seriously is like those times where it doesn't look pretty and it feels awkward and it feels uncomfortable. What are you doing in those moments? Like, how do you, how do you, um, navigate that? How do you, um, deal with those times? Right. Do you pack it in and say, well, that was really difficult and really hard. Fuck this. Um, or do you go, wow, that was really difficult. That was really hard probably a reason why it was really difficult and really hard probably do a bit more work on this and using that 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 awkwardness or that uncomfortableness as motivation to be like right well what can we do to get to this point of being maybe not uncomfortable and not awkward and not challenging um how much work do we need to do around this again yeah so good man and and linking back to what you shared about the importance of the modeling you know Mm. like modeling intimacy and sexuality doesn't start when our kids are 12 and hormones are raging and we're having the talk. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like what we're modeling, that all starts now. So it's like if that's tension and discomfort is there in, in communication now, that is being modeled and that will continue to be modeled. And so I find using that as a bit of extra inspiration because sometimes mm-hmm. it's like, this is really hard. I'm just going to sit in my comfort zone. But when we connect with what that's actually doing for the little ones, it's like, okay, no, that's not an option. Let's, let's, let's do this. Let's lean in. And I think um, a couple of the tools you shared, it's so powerful to have that third party, even if that third party is a PDF, you know, if you have the opportunity and you can um, chat with someone like Cam and have him hold space or or something like that, or a counselor or, or whatever it may be, that can serve as that third party thing to guide and support things as well. So just tune in, feel into what, what does your relationship need? Is it something that's very difficult and maybe you need a bit of extra support? Cool. What would it look like to get that? But, but committing to having these, these conversations, cause it's, it's really, really important. Mm, yeah. 100% agree with you, man. Um, go and see a counselor. Yeah, Fuck, yeah. Just every person should be going and seeing a counselor. Like, <laughs> I know. Just like we shit. go to the gym, it's like, we should yeah. be getting support or an outlet, you know, yeah. even if it was like, yeah. I agree. Um, man, the other thing that you touched on um, quite emphatically, which I want to reiterate, is the giving our partners and ourselves permission to change. You know, mm. when we're talking about intimacy, it's like, okay, what was it like? Okay, practically, it can't be like that. Um, how can we work with that? There's also, it's like, what was it like? Is it still like that? <laughs> Does that still turn me on? Does that still do I still find that sexy? Do I still like having sex that way? Because it's such an evolution for, for us, of course, but especially for the women, you know, they're changing physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, like they're a new human on the other side of that rite of passage. So what makes us think they're going to remain the same sexually? You know, it's almost ridiculous to think Mm. that way. And so not thinking change is bad or, you know, what you're doing now isn't working and it used to work like that can be frustrating or deflating or, but it's just opening up and like, cool, we're changing, we're evolving and leaning into that as a positive rather than thinking it's something wrong because it's not what it was, I think is a really important yeah. thing. Like, and that, cause I, I, I say that cause I slipped into it, even having that awareness, like when you're stressed and you're tired and maybe you try to engage in intimacy and it doesn't, and you, it's easy to be like, fuck, I wish it was easier. Do you know what I mean? And it's mm. like, no, no, like, yeah, keep leaning in, keep getting the support you need because that evolution will take you somewhere more beautiful and more pleasurable and more than you have been. And, and, and I think just creating space for that possibility is a really important part of the process too because then that vision can kind of guide and then it's an inspiring place to be 
doing the work from rather than just a problem solving type place as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like having that awareness and having like all the things we've been talking about, like the communication, the like emphasis on connection and, um, just like honoring the change in, in the way intimacy and sex looks like one of the things that, that I think it's important to acknowledge here is like for a lot of men, their like perception of their partner can change after birth when they, when their partner becomes a mother, um, like for the first time, um, because they're no longer just your lover anymore. They're no longer just your like sexual partner. They're now the mother of your children. They're now like intrinsically linked to you as a family member. Um, and something that something that can happen for a lot of guys is they lose a little bit of sexual um, like spark with their partner for, for a whole bunch of other practical reasons that we talked about, but also for a pretty... Um, important psychological reason as well is think of your family like who's in your family think of your family members right you've got your your parents your siblings your children and also you've got this other family member who's your wife or your spouse but you're not supposed to be you know you're not supposed to have sex with your family members right you're not supposed to have sex obviously with parents children siblings but then you've also got this other family member who you are supposed to have sex with right who who fulfills the role of an immediate member of your family and also has the role of sexual partner, right? Someone who we lust after and desire, but no other family member has that, right? And we're kind of like, as a, as humans, we're kind of inbuilt not to have that because of all the repercussions of what that would look like. Um, and so psychologically, internally, those two roles butt heads for a, for a lot of guys. Um, for, I mean, for a, lot of, for a lot of people in general, but for, for men, I notice this especially. Um, where the family member role beats out the sexual partner role. And, um, and so you become like, I mean, you, you're committed and you're like have a, have a friendship and there's a deep connection there. Yeah, but there's no sexual spark. There's no sexual chemistry there. Um, and so it's how, like, so the whole space then is like, well, how do we then navigate those two roles? How can I like bring the sexual partner role up a little bit and, you know, balance it out with the family member role and, and what does that look like? And, um, you know, a phenomenon that I noticed with some guys is like the like really <laughs> dirty, nasty, intense sex that they had and wanted to have with their partner before birth. They kind of no longer want to do that after birth, um, right? If they've, not, if they've not done any sexuality work and they're not kind of familiar with this, then they, they'll probably notice this. And I've, I've noticed this in some clients is like, they're like, well, I don't want to treat my wife like that. I don't want to treat the mother of my child like she's a, you know, sexual deviant and do all these like, you know, naughty things you know, and, you know, perverted things with her in the bedroom. Like that's the mother of my child. I don't want to treat her like that. And so again, we can kind of see how, all these maybe desires and um, more intense kind of fantasies and things that you wanted to do sexually can kind of like shift, right? Because of the relationship that you now have with your your partner. And so it's like, okay, well, how can we then, how, what, what can we do to kind of navigate that space? What can we do to kind of change that relationship a little bit? And, you know, one, um, I mean, there's heaps you can do, but one, one strategy is like David Data's idea of polarity is just like creating that little bit of energetic distance there to kind of build that spark up again. Um, and so like, that looks like well, a very practical way of this is like you going out and doing something that makes you really connected to your body. Your partner goes out and does something that makes her really connected to her body might not be feasible to do it at the exact same time, unless you've got a babysitter, but 
at, at certain points. And then, you know, you're creating that distance, you're creating that little energetic space between the two of you to kind of create that tension so that you can come back to one another. And, um, and there is that spark again, there is that little bit of, of, you know, the, the, almost like that absence makes a heart grow stronger kind of idea is like absence doesn't have to mean geographical or, you know, time and space. It can just mean that energetic absence there, that little energetic distance done in a really mindful, intentional way, not withdrawing, not withholding, but creating separation, energetic separation. Um, hopefully that makes sense for people listening. Uh, David Data, I'd suggest like reading into that a bit more if people are, are wanting to, to learn about that. Yeah, it's just makes perfect sense and lands, especially for anybody who's listening who maybe work from home, you know, and with everything that's gone on the last 18 months, two years, there's a lot of people spending a lot of time together, you know, yeah. and, and it's like that is not necessarily conducive to intimacy and sexual polarity for the exact reasons you mentioned. And I even just notice it with Kat and I, when we, if we have a day and it might be a beautiful day, but we're around each other the whole time or we're at home, we don't even go to the store, for example, where it's, there's less there. Whereas if, if she goes out for the morning or I go out for the morning or whatever it may be, that in and of itself starts to build that energy up, build that, that, that polarity up. Um, naturally even if that's not why we're doing it i noticed that it still happens like so it's it's um just recognizing that and if you are listening to this and you've been in the situation where it maybe it's been a lockdown or whatever and you've spent heaps of time just bring awareness to that because often it's uh like zoom out and be like oh we don't want to overcook problems that might not be there you know there's actually a lot of environmental things contributing to what we're feeling and experiencing so how can we tweak the environment and if we can't tweak it just yet when will we be you know like just bring that extra layer of awareness can help alleviate some of the psychological tension and pressure that we put on ourselves because yeah it can be a very pressure inducing for one or both um partners you know i should be we should be having more sex we should kind of like the should of the horniness that edwina experienced from pregnant you know whenever there's all these shoulds and expectations that aren't ours it, it can create a recipe for um yeah just feeling feeling flat feeling not good enough feeling like we're not doing a good job all of these things and it's like early parenthood is fucking hard enough do you know what i mean we yeah. don't need to layer a whole bunch of other stuff on ourselves so um yeah don't don't let it, uh, here's just a fucking good rule of thumb do not let other people tell you how often you should be having sex that's just a fucking dumb thing to do so just don't don't listen to people when they say you should be having this amount of sex every week or every month. Yeah, that's just not yeah not a good thing to do. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna put that in a quote tile cam phrase. <laughs> <laughs> don't fucking do it. Um, beautiful man, thank you so much. I feel like we've covered covered a lot of solid ground. Um, I know this is gonna resonate with a lot of people. Um, so yeah, thank you for for sharing. Uh, an insight into your world and what you've personally been navigating. And then also, yeah, putting your professional hat on and sharing some really valuable tools. I definitely um, took a couple of things away, even though you and I have talked extensively about this stuff. Um, <laughs> I got a couple of nuggets as well, which is, which was uh, much appreciated. Yeah. Awesome, man. No worries at all. Beautiful. All right. We'll wrap it up there. And um, yeah, I'll, if you're not already following Cam, which you, you probably are, but if you're not, I'll put all his stuff, his website, his stuff in the show notes. Um, he does work with people one-on-one and it's got some bunch of courses and that sort of stuff. So um, he's a solid follow on Instagram as well. While, <laughs> while Instagram still lets him do his work. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for the plug, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. No worries, man. Big love, dude. And uh, we'll chat to you very soon. <laughs>